You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we return here with another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire, and we return here with a midweek edition episode here on Wednesday, again, getting closer and closer and closer to the 2021 NFL Draft, just over two weeks away until we will know who the next young batch of Ravens are. And look, I'm expecting another great draft from Eric DaCosta and company. We'll see whether they trade up, whether they trade down, we'll see everything that is involved with that and what the Ravens moves will ultimately be. But here today, we're going to be talking a bit about the draft, but also getting into our mailbag as today is Wednesday. And that means it's our regularly scheduled mailbag episode for the week. And then also in the first segment. So we'll talk about the mailbag questions in the second segment. We have four really good ones. And then in the third segment, We'll get into some mock drafts from Twitter that we received for Mock Draft Monday. In that first segment, though, I do want to talk a bit about Justin Houston. If you've been following along with me and in my content, you will know that I have wanted Justin Houston in a Baltimore Ravens uniform ever since that 2019 offseason where he signed a two-year deal with the Indianapolis Colts. Houston scheduled to visit Baltimore yesterday, but it seems like he arrived at the facility late yesterday and most of his visit is coming today. So we'll see what ends up happening at the time of this recording. Nothing has happened with Justin Houston. He has not left Baltimore. He has not signed with Baltimore. So I want to talk about his visit, what he would bring to the team, and ultimately how great of a signing, or not great, I think Houston would be in a Baltimore Ravens uniform. So again, we'll talk about Justin Houston in the first segment, mailbag questions in the second segment, and finally, we'll do mock drafts from Twitter in the final segment. So with all that being said, let's jump right in here. But before we do that, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and where there's a podcast where they're waiting Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnRavens and my personal account at KOSTRIKER34. For any Ravens news, analysis, updates, historical perspectives, draft updates, free agency updates, and much, much more. So with all that being said, we're going to get right into it here, starting off with Justin Houston, who is supposed to be in Baltimore right now. Now, depending on when you're listening to the show, he might not be in Baltimore. He might have already signed with Baltimore. Right now, though, I don't know anything. So you could be listening back to this and being, oh my god, what is he talking about? But It's truly, I don't know anything at this moment at the time I am recording this episode. So let's first get into Justin Houston, the player. Houston is someone who has been around for a long time, a long time Kansas City Chief, played eight years with the Chiefs, and then finally his last two seasons in 2019 and 2020 with the Indianapolis Colts, put up a career high 22 sacks in 2014 and has a career total of 97 and a half sacks. He also has done a bit in the Forced fumble department as well with 17 of those as well as 15 fumble recoveries and also four interceptions. But for Houston as his career has gone on and he has gotten older, he has said, and this is something I recently discovered, he said, I believe it was an interview with NFL Network. He said that the reason he signed with the Colts back in 2019, and this was when he signed with the Colts, that's when this interview happened. He signed with the Colts back then because 
he wanted to pin his ears back, rush the quarterback. He didn't want to have drop back coverage responsibilities. He didn't want to be in a complicated system in terms of his role. He wanted to just rush the quarterback and he wanted that. And that's what, you know, ultimately he decided on. And the Colts gave him that. Ended up having 19 sacks in his two years in Indianapolis. Had 11 in 2019 and then 8 in 2020. And so this is an interesting tidbit here because Baltimore obviously currently runs a 3-4 defense and they really love the positional versatility, the multiple roles people can give them. So if the Ravens are going to try to sell Houston on, hey, look, we want you to rush the quarterback, but we also want you to drop back into coverage. We want you to do a lot of different things for us and play a lot of different positions all around the field. I'm not so sure Houston's going to want to go and sign with the Ravens because I think right now at the point in his career, maybe it's changed since that interview two years ago, but based off of that information, it seems like Houston literally just wants to rush the quarterback. And look, that's fine because right now the Ravens don't have a lot of pure pass rush on the roster. Tyus Bowser, great overall player, not particularly an overly exceptional pass rusher. He has the tools, he has some potential there, but... He's not someone who's going to go out and get 10, 11 sacks a season. Pernell McPhee is going to be on somewhat of a snap count. He's someone who provides a lot of different things in a limited role, but he's not someone who's going to go out there and give you 90% of snaps, and he's not someone who's going to rush the passer on every single snap anyway. He's going to be out there on first down in some run situations. Very good against the run, a very physical player. So again, he's not someone either who's going to give you those 9, 10, 11 sacks in a season. Jalen Ferguson has not proven himself yet, so it's hard to rely on Ferguson to be able to go out and get 9, 10 sacks. Maybe he does do that with an expanded role, but right now he has not done enough to be able to say, yeah, we're going to trust Jalen Ferguson and he's going to go out there and do it. So Justin Houston, I think, provides you know a situation for them where Baltimore can go out and say, look, we do need some pass rush right now. We do need someone to go out there and rush the quarterback at a very high level. And if that's something that Houston wants and something that the Ravens are willing to give him, I know a lot of people have compared the signing to Elvis Dumerville without the fax machine snafu. And, you know, I can see it. Dumerville had a phenomenal few years in Baltimore. He was tasked with rushing the quarterback. And I think Houston could provide that similar impact, especially on a team that is hurting at the edge rusher position without having Matthew Judon anymore. No Yannick Ngakwe, no Jihad Ward. So we'll see what ends up happening. I think that, again, Houston will be a phenomenal fit on this roster. In terms of a visit perspective, the reports and rumors out there, and I know Jeff Zrebeck from The Athletic has said something along this as well, along these lines, that it feels like Houston wants to sign now. You know, sign relatively soon, before the draft. He wants to be situated. The Ravens, as Rebeck and others have reported, are unlikely to sign somebody before the compensatory pick formula ends up going away. The compensatory pick formula deadline goes away. So what that means is that until, I believe the deadline this year is May 3rd, until May 3rd, if you sign an unrestricted free agent, if any team signs an unrestricted free agent, based off the contract you give them, that factors into the compensatory pick formula so that it potentially would cancel out a compensatory pick that an NFL team would get for a free agent that they lost. So for example, if the Ravens signed Justin Houston before that May 3rd deadline, before the formula is over with, and teams can just sign unrestricted free agents without any of that being a factor, 
it seems like the Ravens would be in line to lose a fourth-round compensatory pick that they are currently scheduled to get. And Eric DaCosta and company love, and I mean love, those compensatory picks. So that's interesting because, look, the Ravens right now are in an interesting situation. They have a formula where, you know, it works. Getting extra draft picks, right, that's great. You can trade them. You can use them to draft impact players, guys who can be depth pieces. But here's the situation right now with the Ravens. Lamar Jackson is coming up to an extension. Mark Andrews coming up to an extension. The Ravens are now paying Ronnie Stanley. They're going to be paying Marlon Humphrey next season. They're currently paying his fifth-year option. So what the Ravens have to understand here, I think, is that Look, the time is ticking on this competitive window where you can stack the roster, let's say, because when Lamar Jackson gets that extension, it's going to be a big time extension. Marquise Brown coming up on an extension. If you extend him, that's probably a decently sized extension. Mark Andrews probably looking at one of the highest paid tight end extensions out there. So for the Ravens right now, they have a window, not to mention if the Ravens don't decide to trade Orlando Brown Jr. this offseason, they let him play out his contract in 2021, they're probably going to have to face the reality that he is walking in 2022 because they cannot offer him the left tackle position. So they'll get that third round compensatory pick for him because the contract he will sign will be massive. But it seems like either way, he is out the door in a very maximum 2022 offseason. It could be before then, but if the Ravens keep him around, they want to use that window of having him as a right tackle on a cheap deal. That's the window, right? 2021 with Orlando Brown still there. Lamar Jackson, two more years on his rookie deal. Well, one and then the fifth year option. So... There's a lot to factor in here. I think if the Ravens are going to use a Linda Brown Jr. situation and kind of say, hey, look, we have this window. We could get value out of him, more value than we would get if we were going to let him walk. But we're going to keep him because we have that window now. And we'll get the third round pick anyway for him in 2022. If Justin Houston is so dead set on signing in, you know, the next couple weeks or the next couple days and the Ravens have an opportunity, and Justin Houston says, look, I love what you're offering me here. I think this is a great fit. I love the organization. I would love to sign right now, but if not, I'm going to have to go somewhere else because I have this deadline that I need for myself. I think the Ravens have to just cough it up, cough up that fourth round pick, cough up the compensatory pick, because I think Houston brings that defense so much closer to an utterly unstoppable unit. I'm not saying it will be unstoppable with Houston. There are still holes that Houston, you know, can't fix by himself. But the fit and everything that I think Houston could bring to this team on a, let's say it's a two-year contract. On a two-year contract, I think that that is, you know, one of the moves that can put the Ravens into pure championship contender territory. Not that they aren't there now, but they have to continue to build and add pieces to their roster that's already very good. And I think Houston is someone who can take the defense to another level. Not necessarily this like number one defense, no points allowed on the whole year level, but to a level that they can consistently get pressure on the quarterback without blitzing, which is the next step for this defense. So overall, Justin Houston visiting the Ravens. Hopefully a deal gets done. I am a big fan of the fit if Houston decides to sign and decides to stay. Hopefully Baltimore offers him a role that he will be very happy with. Hopefully Houston buys into the Baltimore culture. And I think overall, Houston is a great fit for this Baltimore team. We're going to head into our first break now, and when we return, we're going to be talking about mailbag questions that we received, so stay tuned for that, and we'll be right back. 
Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar is even more delicious with six new flavors, including caramel, brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Built Bars are healthy. They're great for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. So be sure to go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off of your next order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. And we return here with our second segment of this midweek edition of Locked On Ravens. Your host, Kevin Ostriker, is still hanging out with you here. And we're now going to dive right into our mailbag for the week. We have four questions and we're going to start off with Elias Page, who I said on last week's show, I think I said he'd have four weeks of being a feature here on the show because he sent me a very interesting thing on Twitter about ranking historic Ravens players against current players. He sent me five. I, I must have misread it. I, I said four, I think. So this will be week two of five, not two of four. So again, a big shout out to anybody who has submitted a mailbag question because really it's a treat to answer all of them and to read through all of them as well. So let's start off here with Elias Page, who in our second week of talking about the current versus historic Ravens players that he sent me. We're going to go up the list backwards. So the first week, last week, we talked about Joe Flacco versus Lamar Jackson. Now this week, we're going to talk about Vonta Leach versus Patrick Ricard. And this is a really interesting debate because I think, first of all, two really great players, Leach and Ricard, both phenomenal Ravens. And actually, you know, Ricard has actually spent one more year already in Baltimore than Leach did throughout his Ravens career. Leach spent his final three years in Baltimore. Ricard spending his first four years in a Baltimore Ravens uniform. Leach, a three-time Pro Bowler, two-time with the Baltimore Ravens. He ended up having a really nice career. He was someone who was regarded as one of the best fullbacks in the league for a very long time. Even before his time in Baltimore, Leach won a Super Bowl championship with the Ravens during that 2012-2013 season. And overall, you know, stat-wise during his career, fullbacks don't have all these gaudy stats. But regardless, stat-wise, he put up 47 receptions for 259 yards receiving and a touchdown. And then rushing, he ended up having 32 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown there. So... Again, not the gaudy stats that I think, you know, running backs or receivers or tight ends have, but still a very productive player in a Baltimore Ravens uniform. And looking at Patrick Ricard, Ricard is already a two-time Pro Bowler, making the Pro Bowl in each of the last two seasons. In his four years in Baltimore, from a stat perspective, 21 receptions for 104 yards and four receiving touchdowns, and rushing actually only one rush for negative one yards. So primarily used as a receiving weapon out in the flat. Lamar Jackson finds him one or two yards in the backfield or one or two yards out of the backfield. And Ricard rumbles, carries guys on his back, and he's been a treat to watch. But the main thing I want to talk about here, because you look at Leach, you look at Ricard, two, again, phenomenal football players for this Ravens team. But I think I have to give the nod to Vonta Leach here. And look, Ricard, with one or two more great seasons, I'm giving it to Patrick Ricard for sure. But the reason I'm going to give it to, to Vonta Leach right here, and I think this might be a bit controversial, is the fact that the fullback position ever since Vonta Leach was a fullback versus now in the game where Patrick Ricard is a fullback, the position in general has changed a ton. And I think with the level of play that Leach played at, you know, only being a three-time Pro Bowler, most NFL teams had some form of a fullback for a very long time, and especially in the Leach era, there were plenty of phenomenal, crazy good fullbacks, including Leach, 
So it wasn't just, you know, a couple of good fullbacks, a couple of not-so-great ones, and a bunch of offenses that didn't even have one, like now with Patrick Ricard in the NFL today. But there were plenty, and I mean plenty, of amazing fullbacks at the NFL level. I mean, a Raven, former Raven, another one, Lorenzo Neal, Leron McClain, right? All these Ravens fullbacks who have been great over the years. There are plenty of others as well if you go back, back really far. But even other fullbacks throughout the entire NFL, right, there were a bunch of them. And, you know, Lorenzo Neal played for the San Diego Chargers when they were still in San Diego. That's where he really made his bread and butter but came over to the Ravens late in his career. I mean, Anthony Sherman, a recent retiree, was a great fullback for a very long time. And, you know, there are plenty of others as well. But with Fontalich, right, amazing fullback in an era where fullbacks were really dominant. And the margin for error with fullbacks in terms of, you know, most teams wanted a fullback on their roster. So regardless of if, you know, the Ravens had a good one or had a bad one, they were probably going to utilize a fullback in some way, shape, or form. If the Ravens didn't have Patrick Ricard, if the Ravens weren't employing this run-heavy offense, I mean, we see, I think the number last year, there were eight fullbacks that were used pretty regularly by NFL teams, maybe nine. It was around that area. So the art of the fullback has died out over recent years. And I think that because of that, having a higher quality player like Von Talich is more impressive to me, at least having Von Talich and having him in their offense, that is more impressive than having Patrick Ricard right now. But I will say if Ricard continues to have excellent blocking skills and continues to hone in on them, has excellent receiving chops and continues to hone in on them, I have no issue giving it to Patrick Ricard. I'm not saying that Von Talich is this god that can never be surpassed, but I think Leach is very underrated, so I'm going to give it to Vonta Leach right now in terms of the Leach versus Ricard battle, but I do think it's close and Ricard can overtake him in the next couple of seasons. Our next question here comes from Brendan Ward, who says, I think signing Houston regardless of the comp pick loss would greatly benefit the outside linebacker quality and veteran leadership, trying to keep an extra fourth round comp when they already have one from Cully Hire and one of the Judon and Gakwe seems greedy. Do you agree? So this is interesting and it's crazy because I think Brendan and I, you know, I read these questions and I go through an order with them. Brendan, I think, most of the time, very in line with what I want to talk about in the show anyway. So I talk about Justin Houston in the first segment. Brendan has a question about Justin Houston. It's it's kind of funny it works out that way because it's happened like this multiple weeks. So a shout out to Brendan there. But I do agree, Brendan, and I talked about it a bit in the first segment where the Ravens are in this situation right now with Lamar Jackson and with Orlando Brown Jr. where their window, it's not closing. Their competitive window is not closing, honestly, as long as Lamar Jackson is healthy and playing at a high level or on the roster. Their window is not, you know, completely closed, but they are having a great opportunity right now. They have this great opportunity where they don't have to pay Lamar Jackson tons and tons of money yet. They should round out their roster accordingly, regardless of if one fourth round draft pick gets lost in the fray. The compensatory pick from David Culley is a third round selection, so they will have that next year as well as this year. And I think the compensatory pick formula for Judon and Ngakwe, they're both fourth round picks. I at first thought they were both third rounds and I thought it was one third, one fourth. Now I think it's two fourth round picks, 
that's what I've been hearing, at least the rumblings. That might not be entirely true. And when it's all said and done, it might not be. But right now, I'm hearing two fourth-round picks. But regardless, I agree. I don't think a fourth-round pick should hold a team back from signing a potential huge impact player at a position of need who can provide veteran leadership alongside Pernell McPhee and be a pass rusher to an edge group that really does not have a ton of pass rushing prowess right now. So I completely agree that I think signing Justin Houston is the right move, especially if he does want to sign before the draft and before the compensatory pick formula, all that stuff goes away, I think, again, on May 3rd. That's something that I am so on board with, and I think Houston, again, is someone the Ravens missed out on in 2019. They, I think, were trying to make a play at him, and they did, but... I think ultimately Justin Houston wanted more of the role that Indianapolis offered him. So now I think Baltimore can offer him that role this year and say, hey, look, we have our guys who can cover. We have our guys who can play against the run really well. If you really want to be a situational pass rusher and like literally a situational pass rusher role, all right, we can work with that. We can give that to you. I think that's exactly what the Ravens need to do. So I am all on board the Justin Houston train regardless of when he wants to sign. Our next question here comes from Johnny Boy, who asks, if Terrace Marshall Jr. and Rashad Bateman are both available at 27, who would you like to see the Ravens draft? And this is a great question, Johnny Boy, because both prospects are phenomenal. But if I had to pick one, I have to go with Rashad Bateman. I honestly think it's impossible for the Ravens to stick at 27 and have Bateman fall into their laps. I think he is just that good of a player. I think a team like Chicago, Tennessee, Indianapolis, maybe even Cleveland take a swing at Bateman before the Ravens are on the clock at 27. I think Marshall Jr. is someone also who might not be available in Baltimore picks at 27. But I would be more comfortable taking Rashad Bateman than Terrace Marshall Jr. at 27 because I think Rashad Bateman fills more of what Baltimore needs right now. Not saying Terrace Marshall Jr. doesn't. I wouldn't be happy with him because I would be happy with either player. But Bateman has amazing wiggle after the catch he is very explosive route running technician he does everything right and he uses his size very well I think he weighed in at 6'1 around 190 pounds so I think he gives the Ravens exactly what they need someone who is also very versatile and and gives them both an outside presence and a slot presence although I would use him more on the outside if I were Baltimore but here we are in a situation where Rashad Bateman has true number one upside. And so does Terrace Marshall Jr. But I think Bateman really like has almost, if, if there was a guy who wasn't one of the big three in Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Levante Smith, to be the best receiver in this class, I think Rashad Bateman is that guy. And based off of where he is available in the draft, what skill set he brings, I think Bateman gives the Ravens the best opportunity to give Lamar Jackson a true number one receiver who can be ready and make that immediate impact. Now, Marshall Jr. could still do all that, but I think he needs a little bit more work than Rashad Bateman. And Marshall Jr. is a little taller, but I still think Bateman is physical, very nice after the catch, and I think he provides what I would like the Ravens to get in a receiver in this draft class. Again, I'd be very shocked if they don't end up with a receiver in day two, at least at the end of day two of this draft. So Rashad Bateman is someone who I think is a dream pick for this team. Not saying Taurus Marshall Jr. wouldn't be a good pick, but I think Rashad Bateman is just a next level player. Finally here, we'll look at a question from Akai who says, call me crazy, but I can see Caleb Farley falling due to health concerns and opt-out, and Ravens scooping at 27 then trading later picks to have two second-round selections at edge and wide receiver. 
So this is interesting. I think the whole notion of the Ravens drafting a cornerback in the first round could be a bit of a surprise. You know, I think they have a ton of guys who can play at cornerback already on their roster. Even even drafting a slot guy, it'll be very tough to fit anybody on the roster right now because I anticipate they keep six cornerbacks. Right now, it's obviously Marcus Peters, Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, Ethne Averett, Tavon Young, right? Those are the big five or the fab five, if you want to call them that. But then you have a battle between Devontae Harris and Iman Marshall for that sixth cornerback job. Adding Caleb Farley there, and he's probably getting that spot, right? I'd rather have a Caleb Farley on the roster over a Devontae Harris or a guy like Iman Marshall. But I think that if the Ravens have him highly rated on their board and he falls because of the opt-out, I mean, Farley only played two seasons at Virginia Tech, accumulating six interceptions and 56 total tackles along with 19 passes defended. But I do think that, yeah, there's going to be a run on cornerbacks. There are a lot of cornerback needy teams. I don't end up seeing him falling to 27. But if he's there, the Ravens do love their best player available strategy. And nobody saw the Ravens taking Marlon Humphrey when they already had Jimmy Smith and Brandon Carr on the roster. So it could happen because the Ravens, I think, value cornerback above any position on the roster. So if Farley is someone who they really do like, I could certainly see them taking a swing. But again, if it was me, if I were Eric DaCosta, I would probably take someone at a better position of need that can help the team right now in the window that I talked about over the course of this show where you have Lamar Jackson on your rookie deal and you have Orlando Brown Jr. if they don't trade him. So I think that for me, I'm probably skipping out on Farley and probably taking somebody else who can help the team more immediately, you know, assuming there are no injuries. We're going to head into our final break now, but when we return, we're going to be getting into a few mock drafts that we received from Twitter for Mock Draft Monday. So stay tuned for that and we'll be right back. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards TV shows and reality TV. There are real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline is you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And we return here with our final segment of this Wednesday edition of Locked on Ravens. Kevin Ostriker is still talking with you here. And we're going to dive right into a few mock drafts that we received on Twitter for Mock Draft Monday. Starting off with Adam Piotrowski, who has the Ravens taking Caleb Farley, the cornerback from Virginia Tech, at pick 27. Creed Humphrey, the center from Oklahoma, at pick 58. Dylan Moses, the linebacker from Alabama, at 104. And at 131, Nico Collins, the wide receiver from Michigan. Caden Stearns, the safety from Texas, is the pick at 171. And Ellerson Smith, the edge from Northern Iowa, is the pick at 184. And finally, at 210, Jamal Lenoir, the cornerback from Oregon, is the selection. So it's really funny, right? You know, the segments moving into each other and, you know, having relation to each other because we just talked about Caleb Farley in the last segment. And here Adam Piotrowski has the Ravens taking Caleb Farley in the first round at pick 27. And I mean, yeah, look, the the, the quality of player that Caleb Farley is certainly would warrant a pick for the Ravens. And if the Ravens do take Farley, I'm not going to be like, oh my God, this is awful. This is a horrible pick. He doesn't do anything. It, It does do something because Farley is just that good of a player. And when Jimmy Smith ultimately decides to either retire or move on to a different team, 
Farley can still provide the Ravens with a really good top three cornerback rotation between himself, Marcus Peters, and Marlon Humphrey. The, the only reason I'm not like completely on board with this pick, I mean, I'd be completely okay with it, but the reason I might prioritize Rashad Bateman right over him, or maybe someone like Aziz Ojolari if he's there over him, is because of the fact that the Ravens already have so many cornerbacks on their roster. We know that's going to be a strength of this team, even if they draft someone in the third round or in the fourth round, right? Those guys also can come in and probably make an impact. Whereas at receiver or at edge rusher, there are still great prospects later down the line. But if there is a stud at one of those positions, I'm probably prioritizing the stud at a position of need over a stud at a non-position of need. So if there, if all the guys are gone, if there's not really someone who the Ravens feel comfortable with taking in the first round in the area of pick 27, they want to trade back, right? That's, that's one thing. But if a guy like Farley drops to them, I think they have to at least consider regardless of who is on the board. And then other than that, Creed Humphrey, great pick. Dylan Moses, kind of a fallen star, but still a great pick. Nico Collins at 131, a steal. And then some defensive depth throughout the rest of the draft. So all in all, a very phenomenal draft here from Adam, I think, getting good value in the first. And again, I don't know who was on the board, but still good value. And then rounding out the team in a really nice way, hitting on a lot of different needs. Our next mock draft here comes from Pablo, who has the Ravens taking Terrace Marshall Jr., the wide receiver from LSU at pick 27. At pick 58, Landon Dickerson, the center from Alabama, is the pick, and Jamar Johnson, the safety from Indiana, is the pick at 104. Kendrick Green, the guard from Illinois, is the pick at 131, and Robert Hainsey, the tackle from Notre Dame, is the pick at 171. At 184, Malcolm Koontz, the edge from Buffalo, is the selection, and Tony Poyan, the tight end from Virginia, is the pick at 210. Now, the Terrace Marshall-Landon Dickerson duo phenomenal phenomenal offensive duo it would not mean that the Ravens wouldn't at least try to experiment with Bradley Bozeman at center but look if you have a prospect like Landon Dickerson on your roster you probably have to start him because he's just that good it's really just the injury history that's kind of knocked him down he would be a first round prospect in my opinion if he did not have the injury so two studs back to back in Marshall Jr. and Landon Dickerson Jamar Johnson, a great safety prospect. I think he fits what the Ravens need for sure at that position. Kendrick Green, Robert Hainsey, two offensive linemen. And this is, again, interesting. I've talked about this before and the fact that the Ravens might not have enough roster space to take two offensive linemen. I can see them taking one for sure, but here, you know, they take three. It's Hainsey and then Green and also Landon Dickerson. So that's three offensive linemen. I think those picks could be spent at cornerback or getting another edge rusher per se or maybe even going out there and potentially getting a linebacker who you can play all over the field. I could see that being potentially something they do instead of investing three picks in an offensive line that already has a lot of different playmakers on it. So we'll see what ends up happening, but I do like this draft in general. A lot of nice talent here and, uh, you know, very top heavy, I'll say, because the bottom half, I think more developmental prospects, still good prospects, but more developmental. So they would get immediate impacts from guys like Marshall Jr., Dickerson, and Johnson, which is really important for this team. Finally, here we'll take a look at a mock draft from Stone Feltz, who has the Ravens taking Aziz Ojolari, the edge of pick 27, Pat Frymuth, the tight end at 58, James Wiggins, the safety at 104, and Amir Smith-Barset, the wide receiver at 131, Ellerson Smith, the edge at 171 is the pick, and to pick 184, Rico Bussey Jr., the wide receiver is the selection, and then finally, Kerry Vincent Jr., the cornerback, is the pick at 210. 
So a lot of interesting things here to take away. I think Ojolari and Frymuth, that one too is great. Ojolari, I think, is one of the top pass rushers in this draft for the Ravens. He seems like a Ravens pick to me, someone who I could easily see them taking if he's available. Pat Frymuth gives the Ravens, I think, a lot of different things that they can experiment with on the offensive side of the ball with three tight ends, get back to that. It was a very big part of what they did in 2019. James Wiggins, more of a box safety, but still someone who can make an impact at the defensive level for the Ravens. Amir Smith-Barr said is interesting. I think that maybe at 104, the Ravens could opt to take a receiver, and then at 131, they opt to take a safety, maybe flip-flop those two. Although I'm not necessarily sure who was available on the board in both situations, so I could understand why taking Wiggins and then Amir Smith-Barset was the right thing to do. Ellerson Smith, a nice other edge piece there, a nice edge adept. Rico Bussey Jr., nice prospect. I don't think the Ravens are going to take two late-round receivers, though. If anything, if anything where they take two wide receivers, I could see a very early wide receiver and a very late receiver taken. And then Kerry Vincent Jr., one of my favorite prospects in this draft. I think he's going to be phenomenal in getting him at the end of the sixth round. I mean, what a steal. So, very nice mock draft here from Stone. I mean... Offense and defense. He, he rounded it out very nicely. He ended up not going too heavy on offense or too heavy on defense. I think it was just right for a stone here. That's all that I have for you today. When we get back here tomorrow, it's more Ravens talk from us as we move closer and closer to the NFL draft. So stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.